Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, your number one source for Go90 news. That's my favorite. <laughs> that comes to us from Bandar El Aita on Twitter. That's B-E-L-E-I-T-A. We love your intros. Keep sending it. Walt and I both love that one. I think we both cracked up. <laughs> we cracked up. Yeah. Anyhow, I am Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge, joined as always by my friend, Walt Mossberg, executive editor of The Verge, editor at Larger Recode. How's it going, Walt? It's going great, but um, I want to start this week with an apology. Oh, yeah. I mean, a deep, sincere apology. Last week's podcast, mm-hmm. which people actually liked a lot. We yeah. got a lot of nice comments on it. It actually ranked very nicely on iTunes. But last week's podcast was the first, I think, ever, or at least in a long time, where we did not mention Dieter Bone. Oh, man. What are we doing? So I have just mentioned Dieter <laughs> Bone to make sure it's mentioned in this podcast. <laughs> we got to just start saying his name up top. Just and to just for way. a little, people do like inside baseball, so I'm going to say... Give a little inside baseball here. I may have explained this once before, but I'm going to do it again. So, uh, Nilay Patel is the king of the verge. He's the editor-in-chief. But there are two, like, number two slot positions, titles, executive editor, Mm -hmm. which actually sounds like a big job, but it's deputy to (laughs) Nilay. One executive editor is genuine and actually does a lot of work and manages people and schedules stories and all that, and that's Dieter. The other one does nothing except write a column and do a podcast, and that's me. So just so you understand, Dieter and I have equal titles but not equal responsibilities, and and Dieter is awesome and fabulous, and he happened to actually – Neelai usually edits my column – uh, but Dieter edited my column this week and did a great job. A little better than Eli, honestly. <laughs> and um, he's a little, yeah, in every possible way. Just That's a true. little better, Eli. Yeah. I'm, you know. And um, but we didn't mention him last week, and I got two separate tweets about it. And so Dieter Bone, there he is. Couldn't do anything without him. All right. And I think he knows it, which is why he lords his power over me at every opportunity. All that is to say, Dieter, watch your back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about on the show today. I, Walt and I, I think, right. both really want to talk about sort of the problem of fake news on the social networks, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But we got to start with the MacBook with the touch bar, because we've been talking about it for so long. It feels like every show, we it comes up, what's going on with the Mac, how are the Macs? And finally, finally, Walt reviewed the MacBook Pro with touch bar. Jake Kastronakis and our team reviewed the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar. We gave a 15-inch one to Miriam Nielsen on our video team. So we now have done a pretty complete, thorough review of this product. And it's pretty interesting. It's The state of the Mac is not it, It's not exactly what I expected it to be, is it, Walt? No, it isn't. And I, I think that's the best way to look at it. Uh, just to dispense quickly, and it won't really. Look, every time, to be honest, to be fair to Apple, every time they do something that touches on a particularly important constituency of theirs, in this case, the creatives, the, you know, pros, whatever you want to call it, Um, they do, if they change anything, they're going to get a lot of anger and feedback and, you know, whatever. So that has happened here, uh, which we can explain why. But I think there's a bigger picture and I want to get into the bigger picture as quickly as possible, but let's just talk about this one machine for a minute. Yeah. So what they did was they took the MacBook Pro, which is the top of the line laptop, which everybody listening to this knows is meant for pros, for creatives, and the laptop that was uh, for a long time meant for average users was the MacBook Air, and they used to have a uh, 
and still do have a plain MacBook, which is a 12-inch machine, which is also meant, I think, for day-to-day mainstream users. Uh, but it has uh, a kind of suboptimal processor and only one port. Nevertheless, it's a pretty good machine. But the MacBook Air, to me, was the finest overall laptop, the most balanced laptop in terms of power, thinness, weight, ruggedness, range of things it could do that anyone has ever designed. And as you and I have discussed before, uh, every other company has been chasing the MacBook Air uh, in design and in actual sales and every other way for quite a long time. Apple is kind of gradually killing it. Um, as I said in the column, it's been put into that special purgatory in Cupertino for machines that they're not quite yet ready to kill, but they will never upgrade. Uh, that's at least how it appears. And uh, so it doesn't have a retina display, and it is two generations back now on Intel processors. Still very capable. You can still buy one today. And I think for a lot of what people need to do, it's just perfectly capable, very capable. But the new MacBook Pro is very powerful, more powerful than the last MacBook Pro by various percentages that Apple uh, is happy to outline. You can go to the site and see them. But what I don't think people expected was they made it thinner than the MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. And as light, and actually, if you think of the overall volumetric space, it's smaller than the MacBook Air. This is the 13-inch one I'm talking about. There's also a 15-inch, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. By making it thinner, it helped them justify doing something that is probably going to be the future anyway, but they did it in typical Apple fashion, totally abruptly, which is to drop every port except for the port that the industry is essentially migrating toward, which is called USB-C. And there are four of those USB-C ports. USB-C is a port connector that can be uh, connected to a lot of things, but in this case, it's connected to Thunderbolt 3, which allows it to both be, I mean, it could be used for charging, it could be used for data, very fast data transfer, like uh, the old style USB. It can be used for uh, video out. It can be used for what? Audio out. It can be used for- I mean, it can turn into anything. Almost anything. And except, of course, with all the legacy equipment out in the world now, you need dongles and adapters to use it. And Mm -hmm. that's just a fact of life when you're making a- a transition, but people don't like it. There are complaints also from the pros about not enough RAM in this machine. It goes up to 16, but it doesn't go up to 32. Mm-hmm. And some complaints about the graphics card. Also, it's using the sixth generation Intel processors, not the seventh generation. Apple has a good explanation for that, I think. The, there are no quad core processors yet out from Intel in the seventh generation, which is called KB, KB Lake, right? KB Lake. And it doesn't support a certain kind of RAM that Apple wanted to use that is uh, low power. So they stuck with the sixth generation, which, and frankly, took them a while to even feel comfortable about that. And Microsoft jumped right onto the sixth generation, which is called Skylake, and had problems with that. Apple has, uh, I guess Intel has worked those problems out, and so Apple is putting it in. Uh, so all of those things are causing some complaint uh, among pro users. But I wrote my column, or I took a look at it from the point of view of the overall line and its impact on the mainstream day-to-day Mac user. And the reason for that is 
I think they have now taken the MacBook Pro, and because they shrunk it to even be less than the, the size and and you know dimensions of the Air and the same weight, mm-hmm. this is now the only Mac laptop you can buy that has a relatively up-to-date processor and a retina screen. There is no other. Right. And they've left, they basically, they have the basic MacBook, which uses a not relatively up-to-date processor or full-fledged processor. And it does have a retina screen, but it doesn't have a, a, a full-fledged processor. And they have this. And yes, they're still selling the Air, but the Air is, as I said before, been kind of left behind. Uh, not not a relatively up-to-date uh, a processor and not a retina display. So this is it. So it has to serve pros and it, and it has to serve those people who want, you know, some oomph in their machine, even if they're not going to do video editing and all that sort of thing. And I think that's a mistake. I think they have left a hole in the middle of their laptop line. I, it's You know, I think the naming has something to do with it as well, because I, I completely agree with you. But I think if they just sort of like renamed these things, you could say, okay, they've got the low-end sort of mainstream product in the MacBook, the 12-inch Retina MacBook. They could call that the MacBook Air. And it prioritizes size and weight. Size and weight, you're going to get lower performance, but everybody understands that we get with an ultra-portable. Here's that thing. They have a MacBook Pro that doesn't have the touch bar. They could just call that the MacBook. And then they could do this stuff on the higher end with the Pro. But their naming right now just makes everything seem like there's nothing in the middle of the market. There's this weird 12-inch MacBook that is kind of underpowered for most people, but is actually a really nice computer. I really like it, especially on an airplane. And then there's these Pros, and the Pros don't quite reach up all the way that they need to go. And it, I think you're right. I think there's this hole in their middle of their lineup, but... It's unclear why. They, I think they could do a lot if they just organized their product line a little bit better. The only edit I would make to your suggestion is I would think I would like to see them take the 12-inch MacBook. And I don't even know if this is technically possible given the thermals and all that. But I would like to see them take it and put a real Core i processor in it. Yeah, not the little I don't care processor. if it's a Core i7, but at least a Core i five or something better than what's in it is called a core m although i gather that's being renamed but yeah intel's because uh, intel figured out that people know that core m means slow so they're just yeah they're just monkeying with the names yeah, it's a real right. post-truth society that we live in. yeah yeah so <laughs> I, I wouldn't care if they if they had said okay we're gonna kill a macbook air i mean i'd weep a little for a minute but and then they and then they said and look at this gorgeous new macbook air which would have been what we now know is the MacBook, and it and it has core processors in it. And uh, the MacBook Air weighed three pounds. They could have made, the, and that weighs two pounds. Mm-hmm. If it, if if they had to make it a tiny bit thicker and weigh two and a half pounds. Oh, now we're the, now we're just like in the realm of fantasy. The, if no, only Apple I mean, made it thicker and made it more powerful. No, but yes, I know. But what I'm saying is, then they would have been able to say, "Here's a new MacBook Air. Yeah, it runs the core whatever it." Is half a pound thinner. I mean, you know, half a pound lighter and such and such many millimeters thinner. We'd have all been thrilled. Look, they've even made the MacBook Air smaller and cooler, you know, when it, and it has Retina and all, and, and all that. But that's not what they did. They went for this kind of Core M thing. And then you waited. 
I wasn't very optimistic, but I had a tiny bit of hope that maybe they would have bumped up the specs on the air, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. So the air is, like I say, it's in Cupertino purgatory, and I think it'll be dead. Oh, in a year. It's gone in a year. Yeah. They're also still selling the old 15-inch MacBook Pro. Oh, they're selling all the MacBook Pros. I mean, they have so many. That's the other problem. They have a completely confusing line of laptops. Seriously, go to their website right now and you'll see. I mean, you know, they're selling the non-Retina MacBook Pros, the Retina MacBook Pros, the new MacBook Pros with Touch Bar, the new MacBook Pro <laughs> with everything except the Touch Bar. I mean, really, it's 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 not what Steve Jobs uh, set out to do at the beginning uh, when he came in and killed a lot of uh, extraneous models. So I just think it's all very confusing and it's particularly hard for the day-to-day non-creative, non-graphics, non-video, non-audio person who has been the prime customer for the air. Yeah. Who's felt like the air gives that gives her a whole range of opportunities uh, in a very small but very rugged good great battery life had 12 hours of up to 12 hours of battery life and I found that to be pretty realistic. Obviously as it gets older the battery isn't quite as good. But um, really, quite a good battery life machine, uh, and uh, they're all over. They're all over the Verge. They're all mm-hmm. over a lot, a lot of places, and they don't have that. Yeah, you know, I, one of the things that we we have always talked about as we review laptops is there is a default sort of platonic ideal of a laptop at any given time, and Apple has generally made them, and other companies. You know, the, the the what is the Windows laptop? The one that everyone should get is kind of always an open question. And that's a great right. strength of the Windows ecosystem. Don't get me wrong. But the one thing that you should definitely get for the longest time has been an Apple laptop in various forms. So for a million years, it was those plastic MacBooks. And the black plastic MacBook was an amazing, powerful, capable, all-around computer. And I, I know... A million people who had that machine and loved it. Loved it with all of their heart and soul. And then the MacBook Air became that machine. Many of our listeners are probably familiar with Joanna Stern, who was a founder of The Verge, now has half of Walt's old job at the Wall Street Journal. Um, And, you know, her joke when she reviewed laptops for The Verge was, well, for X hundred dollars more, you can just get a MacBook Air and you'll be happier. Uh, And literally, almost every review of a laptop at The Verge that she did ended with that line. Because it was always true, you could. Just and she spend... was once the she was once the queen of laptops. She, netbooks, it was netbooks. Because she came from Laptop Magazine. Yeah, exactly. But that was like a that was a joke. Every review ended with, "You could get this is fine, but for two hundred dollars more, you could get a MacBook Air." And I will say, since we mentioned Joanna, I, I am on record, and I'm almost certain Joanna's on record also in almost the same words as saying, "This is the best laptop anyone's ever made." Oh yeah. Uh, when you think of everything all around, you know, it was it the Best laptop for video, heavy-duty video editing? No, and and that's why Apple had the Pro. Was it the best laptop for, I don't know, spreadsheets or something? No, probably you wanted a Windows laptop for that. But in general, for you know the widest range of things, most people do most of the time, all day long, great battery life, great portability, and, and I repeat, rugged, not fragile. It was nothing ever fragile about the Air. That was it. Right. And now we have this strangeness in the Apple, in, in the Mac lineup, where the Pro is not as beefy as the real Pros want. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, in my test, it was 
I mean, everything I threw at it, which was only normal day-to-day stuff, it was fabulous. And, you know, it's expensive and it's, you know, it's not the air. (laughs) It does. What does it have? It has this thing called the touch bar. Yeah. Which you should spend a couple of minutes on. So Apple's innovation here, uh, and of course they would say the size and the weight and number of other things. You know, the retina screen is actually even more retina than it was. You know, I mean, it's a brighter, it's 500 nits instead of, I think, 300 nits or something. It's a very bright screen, super bright, really. I mean, you don't need, if, if you're one of those people that is 100% a brightness person, and there are a lot of them, I'm telling you, if you happen to buy this machine, you can use it at 70 and you'll be fine. It's a very, it's a fantastic screen. It has one of the new flat Apple, flatter Apple keyboards. And I actually took to it instantly. Mm -hmm. I had no problem with it. But the big innovation is this touch bar. What is the touch bar? Well, it's taking the function key row, which started out years ago on Windows as having, you know, F keys, probably inherited from, I don't know, a teletype machine or something. But mostly now uh, on both Macs and Windows, it's it's about brightness and volume and play and pause and that kind of stuff. It took that row and it replaced it with a, ret- they, they're careful to say this, by the way, a retina quality mm-hmm. capacitive glass touch screen that is a tiny strip that is the height of a row of keys that goes across. And it changes the way that uh, this the keyboard or screen on a uh, on an iPhone or an iPad does by the app by whichever app you're using. So if you're using a an app which, for instance, is a video editing app, it might go through all the frames in your video. It might let you just scrub through them very quickly. Uh, if you're using if you want to pick colors, it might let you scrub through those very quickly. If you're typing uh, in most things. Not Google Docs, but most things. <laughs> yeah, you've discovered it doesn't work in Google Docs, right? <laughs> doesn't work in Google Docs. So it uh, it will show you. It will do predictive uh, predictive word suggestions. Uh, our our friend Jake, who also reviewed it, uh, is a very is a much faster typist than I am, evidently, because he felt the suggestions came up a little too late for him. In my case, uh, I'm not a uh, super fast touch typist, and I found the suggestions useful. But, um, you know, I, I think it has, it has potential. I don't think it's a gimmick, but it, it's not a, it didn't knock my socks off. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. And these are expensive machines. They're 15, it's $1,500 for the base model without the touch bar and with a lesser processor, still a good processor, but a lesser one. And it's, uh, but it has a retina screen and all that, and it's, so it start and it starts at fifteen hundred dollars, and then the touch bar ones, a thirteen inch start at uh, seventeen hundred, and then the fifteen inches start, I forgot, but higher than that, twenty three, I want to say, something yeah, like that. I mean, they're they're they got more expensive, anywhere from yeah. two hundred dollars to slightly more and more expensive than the outgoing models, and it's. That touch bar is why, right? I mean, it's obviously a high-quality, high-tech, cutting-edge feature. They had to add another screen. Basically, it's a little iOS computer underneath. I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff that they had to add. Of course, it's going to cost more. But you don't think it's as worth it as it otherwise might be? 
I don't think this is worth it yet. I want to be careful. I can imagine somebody really becoming addicted eventually to using it as a scrubber, for instance, in audio. In fact, one of the demos they showed when they introduced it was a DJ using it uh, that way. Uh, I can, you know, scrubbing through sounds. Uh, I can use. I can imagine people, you know, just becoming dependent on it for that kind of thing uh, instead of the the gig- the the, the trackpad which by the way has become gigantic <laughs> it's comically huge so gigantic <laughs> i can imagine a third-party apps doing creative interesting things with it but right now for instance if you're in safari apple's browser if you're in chrome nothing happens but but uh, uh i think nothing happens but um you know people can write to it as an open api if you're in safari you will see all your open tabs they are so tiny that you can't distinguish them necessarily, but you can scrub through them. And when you go to a new tab, it will show you sort of your favorites and it will show the favicons and, you know, so you see the nice Verge logo or the Recode logo or any of the other logos. And and that's nice. That's fine. Um, I don't, I just don't find that particularly exciting. Uh, now, do you? Am I wrong? What do you think? My thoughts, and you know, you reviewed it, Jake reviewed it, and they've been floating around me in the office. So I, I haven't really sat down and, and used it, but in the in the in the times that I've gotten to play with it, it just seems like one of those things where Apple's religious objection to putting a touchscreen on the Mac pushed them in a different direction that is extremely interesting, but feels like a half measure. And I'm not sure what it's a half measure to. I, I, I wouldn't say that it's a half measure to just doing a touchscreen. It could be a half measure to all, you know, maybe a, a much bigger touch bar. There's, you can see where it could go, but this one feels like just a first step and maybe not a particularly compelling first step. I think that's a very smart point. Um, I do not, I am not one of those people who's craving a touchscreen on my MacBooks. Um, I own Windows touchscreen computers, and when I use them, I don't find myself reaching all that often for the touchscreen, unless there's a really long amount of scrolling to do, partly because the trackpads or touchpads on Windows computers often are terrible for scrolling. Uh, So I use the screen. But other than that, I don't use it all that much. And I find actually that movement between the screen and the keyboard to be annoying. Uh, having said that, I think you just you just said something really, really interesting. The touch bar would have been phenomenally compelling twice as big. Yeah. It would have been phenomenally compelling twice as big. And that trackpad, which, what does Joanna say? You could eat lunch <laughs> off it, I think. She got a great, uh, great t- picture in her review with a sushi lined up on it. Sushi lined up on it, yeah. So there's no reason they couldn't have shrunk that a little bit. Still would have been really big and made the touch bar bigger. I mean, if we're going crazy, I think they should have they should have not done the touch bar at all and made that whole giant trackpad a screen. But that, I mean, like, that's bonkers. Now the thing costs $5,000, right? Like, you, you understand why the they took the steps. The other problem with the touch... The touchpad is it would then had to go the whole length of the computer or most of the length. I mean, who knows? I'm saying you can just see, you you look at the product, you look at all the things they've said to us in the past about not wanting to do touchscreens, and you see how their decision process landed at this thing. And I I think that's really interesting. Uh, I think Jake had a really really fascinating note in his review 
where he described it as, here's another kind of lock-in. Once you learn how to use this computer with a touch bar, other computer, you, you don't know how to use other computers in different ways. That's interesting to me. I don't think it's a big deal. I just think it's just a fascinating thing to yeah. think about. Right? No, it is. But but uh, but I think a thicker one would have been better. I I mean, you know, why not the whole keyboard? Yeah, there's a lot of possible and but, and so it might evolve. So it, it might evolve. To these and that's kind of like my biggest thought on this. And I think Apple's done a lot of this recently. They're putting out these products. The iPhone 7 with, you know, the no headphone jack and then the dual camera and all this stuff is another example of this. Um, their AirPods is another example of this. They're putting out products that point down the road. And if you agree with the vision, then you're bought into the products because you're excited about the vision. Uh, 3D Touch on the iPhone 6S is yet another example. Here's a vision. Now, everyone in the world, the entire ecosystem has to rally around this vision. And if we all do that, Everything's going to be awesome. And if you are ready to tune everything out and focus and participate and buy all the adapters and buy the dongle, you know, and just do the stuff and, you know, push hard on the screen to see if all the apps have added 3D touch, you're, you're going to be great because you're bought in and you're, you're going along for the ride. But right now at this second, it's not there yet, right? And if you're not bought in, right. your life just is a little bit more inconvenient and you've got, you're paying a little bit more money for a laptop that is without some additional affordances and retraining is a little bit less convenient than your old laptop. And it, Apple just is in this transition period. And I don't think any of us were expecting Apple to be in a transition period after last year was such a transition period for them as well. right? Well, I, mean, I you know, that one of the things people praised them for over the years was they always played the long game. This is kind of the long, long game. And we'll just, we we just have to see, but I I would make one comment. I think the buy-in to the potential of these things, which mm-hmm. you were just describing, had a lot to do with faith in Apple. Yep. And frankly, faith in Steve Jobs personally. And and now whoever it is that often tweets that I have to say his name in every one of these podcasts, <laughs> feel free to tweet. Well, it's Steve uh, Jobs and Dieter Bone, so it's good company. Where yeah, that's right. And Jake, we mentioned Jake and Joanna. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of shoutouts here. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Mike Pence. I'm going to mention Mike <laughs> Pence. I, I just think there was faith in Apple and faith in in Jobs, and so, and I think that might be lessening a little bit. Yeah. Because I think people, the payoff of the long, long game, the delay in the payoff, is eroding a little bit of that. That faith. I also think people unfairly, uh, in their memories, compress the pace at which Apple's uh, breakthroughs happened. You know, there were years between uh, the the uh, you know getting the Mac laptops right and the iMac right. By the way, when we talk about Mac laptops, uh, when Jobs came back to Apple and he was trying to scramble to save the company, the very first thing he did was halt. Uh, the the development of a power book that was underway and make some changes in it. Oh, I didn't that know was that. even, yeah, it is. It's true, uh, and that was even before the the iMac. So um, you know, but there were years between the iMac and the and the iPod, and then the I, there were like three years between the iMac and the iPod, and then there were six years between the iPod and the iPhone, and there were four years. Three years between the iPhone and the, and the iPad. So you know, I hear that and, comparison a lot. Though, but here's the thing: when Apple did the iMac, 
all Apple focused on was the iMac. They were the iMac company for that period of time until they yeah. released the next thing. And then they were the iPod company for that period of time until they released the next thing. And they were still updating the iMacs, but they only had they only had two, you know, culture defining products. And then they did the iPhone and then they had three and then and so it's every time they did another one of those, it feels like their focus on the others waned. And, you know, I couldn't tell you what's going on with the iMac right now. Does it even matter anymore? Should they even have an iMac anymore? I would love for them to continue to have an iMac. But I like my 27-inch Yeah, iMac. I have a 27-inch. My 27-inch iMac is from 2009. I did the open-heart surgery where I pulled off the display, I put an SSD in it, and now it's great. And I couldn't tell you why I should buy another one except to get a retina screen, but it's a lot of money to just upgrade the display, right? Like, there's a whole... I have a retina screen in mind. See, but I'm, I'm sure it's great. But should I... Mine's fine. Like, you know, you know primarily no, what we it use it fine. for it is... it is fine. Uh, my wife uses it to print res- uh, shipping labels to send things back. That's, <laughs> that's what we use it for. Like Why? Because her iMac doesn't... Her MacBook doesn't do that? AirPrint is pretty flaky. That's why. Because the printer oh, is actually plugged into the iMac, so she just prefers it because the wire, of all of the things in the world, the oh, wire gives her comfort. we print everything wirelessly in our house. I don't know. Yeah, it works. It hey. works. And it, it doesn't matter. But that's what we use it for. Should I buy a new one? Like, probably not. No. Right? And no. I think Apple's just in this moment where they have they actually have so much stuff that it's hard to see where all of their focus is going at any one time. So I am not in the, in the touch bar as a gimmick camp. But I am in the touch bar is a one of these things with potential that you just don't know yet. Right. And I mean, I, it has it, it may have immediate, like Jake said, lock in effect for people who do certain things. Oh, I just think that's like a I, fascinating. I get that. You know, it's just it, it, that is not an important note at this time. It's just one of those. It's a new way of interacting with the computer, and if the world builds up around it, it's a it's a huge advantage for Apple. I don't. It could happen. It could not happen. I don't think it's lock-in in in that sense. It's just a thing that he noticed as he got used to it. It was just another reason that he preferred to use it. But it's funny. (laughs) I'm going to do this while I'm going to point out one of my my old columns. It's it's the first time this has ever happened. I love this. This is good. Last December, I wrote 2015 was Apple's year in beta. And it's a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it got better and some of it didn't. Uh, Apple Watch got dramatically better. Apple TV kind of exactly the same place that it is. They're putting out the new version of the TV app, but it's not out yet. So right at the second, it's sitting right where it was. Um, Apple Music, they made it a little bit better. iPad Pro, pretty much exactly the same product as it was. 3D Touch, Live Photos, Apple... Like, they've done incremental upgrades to these things, but none of them have become the, the kind of product that Apple wants them to become. And here now, I think with the Touch Bar... It's another thing where to make it really happen, the entire ecosystem of the Macintosh needs to reorient itself around it. And that is going to take perhaps much longer than anyone wants it to. Well, I, I think if they put out... The, it's hard to predict. If they put out we'll the standalone see. keyboard with the touch bar in it, yeah, I think things would accelerate a lot faster. Well, they may. Who knows? They may not. Maybe they will. Yeah. Although it'd be pretty expensive. Yeah. But I, I mean, they're selling. Speaking I mean, they're purely now. for myself, because why should I care about anybody else? <laughs> I'm sort of like a a, a a laptop survivalist. Yeah. About six months ago, I bought a brand new uh, MacBook Air. I just bought one. It's yeah. in the box. 
It's waiting. <laughs> Just in case. So when the apocalypse comes and they kill the MacBook Air and they haven't, and they don't, you know, or I don't like the MacBook for some reason and I don't really feel like spending the money on the, the new Pro, I'll just open the box and have a brand new MacBook Air and it'll do 12 hours because it's new and, yeah, you know. Yeah, that'll be great. It'll be, no I'll retina screen, clean, though. Clean install of everything. So it'll, even though it doesn't have the newest processor, it'll be fast enough for Slack and uh, Twitter and Facebook and I mean, browsing. everything about our world is so apocalyptic. You're a prepper. You, are you also storing canned uh, meats? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> You're learning to hunt with a bow and arrow. <laughs> if you went to my house, there is a whole like stack of canned meats, and underneath it is the MacBook Air. <laughs> So I have to get, I have to unpack all the, you know, all, all the beans and franks and all the cans of spam, and then there's the MacBook Air. Yeah, it's in your, it's in your bunker. <laughs> it is. Look, from everything we can tell, I saw. Strat- I'll be podcasting from that bunker. Actually, it's fine. Radio Free Walt. It's gonna be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> For anyone out there. I have beans and franks and one laptop. <laughs> Come to Maryland. We have mountains in Maryland. I'll be up there. If the president can have Camp David, I can have Camp Walt. Radio, uh, it should be Radio Free Mossberg. I'm going to make you... Look, the merch store is launching this week. Actually, if all goes well, by the time this podcast is out, you will be able to buy a Control-Walt-Delete t-shirt. This is a real Oh, my thing. God. But the next one is going to be Radio Free Mossberg. Okay. That's, that's if anyone wants to send me a design. But kind of a lightning bolt and a map of Maryland. That's actually a thing. So we have all this merch now, and we've got stickers. And so I have a new Verge logo sticker. Um, our sister site, Racked, just redesigned. I've got a, they've got a hot new logo. I've got a Rack sticker. Oh, uh, yeah. They look great. And I don't – I can't put it on my old 15-inch Pro, which is the ancient – dying thing and i've got these review units so i can't stick it on a review unit but i can't pull the trigger and buy one of these new ones i just yeah there's something that's my holding me back too. and i, I don't I can't quite know i actually have been to the order page three times yeah and for people like you and people have to understand you and i have a sickness <laughs> i mean because we get these review units we do return them yeah but we don't keep them like five days we can keep them a couple months you know we don't keep them forever either people yeah. so i don't think it's a scam. I keep them long enough to like them. understand them, and then I send them back. Yeah, and to and if there's some apps or peripherals or things that come out in the immediate aftermath of them, we have them. But you and I have a sickness, which is we buy a lot of new computer and tech stuff. Yes, and I can't bring myself to order this. Not because it's a bad computer; it's actually not a bad computer. It's just can't, trying to be too many things to me, and it's expensive. I, honestly, and, I and I, I have and I have that MacBook Air in the in the box. <laughs> now I'm going back and trying to rethink the MacBook. Yeah, maybe that's what I'll buy. So I, that know. computer, I think everybody listening to that, I've probably told this story a thousand times. Like I have Dieter's old one, which is even slower. You but, have told this story, yes. Yeah, but I love it. I think it's a great little computer, and it. It's it's slower than an iPhone. His 7. is a first gen, right? Because yeah. they have a second gen that's it, faster. The second gen is faster. The one I have is the first gen. It is it is very slow. There's just no getting around it. It is it is legitimately slower than the iPhone seven. But oh really? Yeah. I mean, it, it just it's a slow computer, and the iPhone seven is a very fast computer. It's probably slower than any number of iPad Pros as well. Um, but it's, oh, the iPad Pro. I have the nine point seven iPad Pro. 
Mm-hmm. That may be the best all-around computer I have right now. That's interesting. So that's how we should talk. I really, I do want to do a couple minutes on on the Facebook thing, but let's end there because that's really the thing. There's the whole Mac line, and there's the future yep. of Apple's PC stuff, and then there's this iPad Pro, which now has a keyboard and only yep. has one port and a headphone jack. So it's very much like the MacBook, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but what's the split? We've talked about this a lot on the show too, but it's a good time well, to revisit. Well, half of even what the MacBook weighs, which is not much. It's very fast. It's very powerful. It's instant on. I mean, these the Apple actually, to their credit, I want, need to say this about the MacBook Pro uh, with Touch Bar. The iPad um, Pro, when you have the keyboard case on it, weighs more than the MacBook. It's two point three pounds. Okay. So it's nothing. It's but I don't have their yeah. keyboard yeah. case. I have the Logitech keyboard case, and I actually don't keep it on there. I actually have one of the older, just like nothing cases, mm-hmm. because unless I'm, I'm gonna unless I'm gonna write something. So if I take a trip, I can take that and I can put the Logitech keyboard in my bag, but not on the iPad. Oh, there you go. And and just put the iPad into it when I'm gonna do a lot of keyboarding stuff. I get a lot done on the iPad. I've said this before on the podcast and in columns and you know maybe I'm a weird person but I just I I, I use it for you know media consumption but I which everybody always says but I also use it for productivity and I use it for everything. Uh, and it's a great it's a terrific computer. Where do you think the App- iPad Pro is a terrific computer. Where do you think Apple's focus? If they could only pick one line to advance, which one should they advance? Well, they're obviously their focus is the iPhone. I mean that that's their focus. No, I, I meant between the between the um, iPad. Oh, Pro between and those two. I think in uh, look, I haven't talked to him about this at length, but I think Cook Tim Cook uh, is a big iPad believer. I think he uses it. Most of the Apple top executives I see, and I don't know whether this is for show, but when I do sit, sit down with them for some reason or another, they they used to have Mac with them. They all have iPads with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they they believe in that. Um, they obviously are now working with a whole bunch of enterprise companies. Somebody pointed out recently in some analyst article I read that I thought was very good that the uh, the unit sales of the iPad, as we all know, have been dropping now for quite a while, but the revenue is fine. It's right. either up or even. Right, they've raised the uh, prices. I mean, they've raised the price, yeah. and they are selling a ton of them into enterprise, and then they're selling a ton of kind of slightly older discounted models into schools. So they're doing okay. They, you know, he has. It's not the same as a dramatic, fantastic. I'm going to now pull a laptop out of an envelope, which was the great. I still say one of the great presentation moments in in PC history, which was the. Uh, the presentation of the MacBook Air. But Tim Cook, so it isn't anything cool like that, but Tim Cook has managed, he said, okay, I have an iPad problem here. It sold faster than anything anybody ever introduced. And then after a year or two, people, it began to enter a replacement cycle that was very long, mm-hmm. like a like a laptop. So what I'm going to do about this, I'm going to open new markets that we never had. And, and he went after enterprise. And so far it looks... Pretty good. Uh, you got to give them credit. It's, is it an exciting thing? Maybe not, but it's smart. So uh, he clearly is putting a lot of emphasis on that. I don't mean that he's doesn't care about the Mac. 
as we've said many times, um, the Mac is a $20 billion plus business or so business, and that's not nothing. But they care. They, he cares a lot about, uh, about the iPad, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think he really does. I, you know, my, so, my read on it is that the touch bar is, I mean, they're investing. They invented a whole thing for the Mac. It's not to be discounted, but they've got a. There's a lot of questions about the Mac line. They've got to update that Mac Pro. They got to do something with the iMac. The Mac Mini is still out there in the world. What are they going to do with that? There's, I don't know. There's a lot. There's. There's. I think they need a, a pretty wholesale reset of what Mac is for who and what can they do. Hopefully, that's coming soon. You never know. Yeah, never know. So that's the Mac. That's the Mac. That's the puzzling Mac. But but. I just can I just say one last thing. I don't do not want to leave people the impress the impression that this is a wimpy machine. Mm-hmm. There are some vocal elements in the pro and creative community who think it could have been beefier, and I respect that. But I will bet you that for most people doing Final Cut or Premiere or Photoshop or I don't know, Pro Tools or whatever you do for music, this is going to be better than the current MacBooks, probably. Yeah. And that's the, and, and you know, and, so I don't want to. And it's just managing the, through the transition, right? That's what it comes yeah. down to. That's my hesitance that, in just that's pushing right. And, and by the way, I don't really care very much about the dongles. I understand why they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you're a photographer and using SD cards, it's, you know, you'd rather not have to have a dongle, but. Again, for everyday users, your main dongle on this is probably just going to be one $19 cord to connect your iPhone, and that's it. Yeah. This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by Lenovo. Look, the cloud sounds magical, but it's just data stored on servers. It's estimated that the cloud holds four exabytes of data, equal to the storage capacity of six million average laptops. By 2020, experts expect the cloud to hold 40 zettabytes of data, or the storage equivalent of 80 billion average laptops. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. But the cloud isn't just a place to store stuff. In fact, business increasingly relies on the cloud for expandable computing power. Imagine if you only have house guests coming, but only one bedroom. What if you just order an extra bedroom for your guests you could remove after they leave? That's the idea behind Lenovo's next-generation data centers built for cloud computing. You see, the cloud is all about giving your company the ability to expand and contract server capacity on-demand without actually adding more hardware. Lenovo understands that on-demand access can give your company a tremendous competitive advantage. Think about it. The faster you can scale up, the faster your development team can test new applications, and that means you can get new product features into market faster. But that kind of flexibility is worthless if your servers are down. Lenovo servers are number one in reliability and performance because you don't have time for downtime. So if you're feeling handcuffed by proprietary hardware-software relationships, Lenovo systems allow you to partner with leading software providers to ensure your cloud solution is best in class. Lenovo systems can even integrate with legacy software platforms to get your cloud solution up and running quickly. So just go and learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash datacenter. Okay, now, fake news. Fake news. You and I have both been thinking about this a lot, I think. Right. So I want to make it clear that I'm not talking and you're not talking about conservative news or pro-Trump news versus Clinton, pro-Clinton news or liberal or pro-Democratic Party news. There's fake news everywhere. I think more of it in the campaign happened to come from the right, but, you know, with president-elect Trump in power, more of it might start coming from the left. Right. I don't know. Whoever can pay the boiler room in Macedonia more, 
or the, you know whatever they'll there'll be more fake news from there i do, and and i just think facebook has not done enough since we last talked about this facebook has taken a couple steps most important of which they took i just yesterday i think which was they're not going to let fake news sites participate in their advertising program and Twitter said immediately did the same thing. And Twitter deleted a bunch of alt right accounts yesterday too. It's yes, they it's did. It's all kind of of a piece. But the alt right accounts may not be fake. Right. I mean, they, they, what they say may not seem true to you and I, and they may not be true. I don't know if you did a fact check on them, but they're not fake sites. Right. They're just they they're just hate sites, <laughs> and so Twitter has long had a policy against hate speech, so they're getting rid of them, and that's. A good thing, regardless of what their politics are. If, if it's anything to anything that is bigotry from any either side, any side, middle, anywhere, is bigotry, and that's just its own category, and it should be gone. Uh, in my opinion, it's not American, so or it's sadly have been American, but it shouldn't be American, so it's it's gone. But Facebook is still kind of trying to say, oh, this is not a, a big problem. And there I, there are have been leaked reports suggesting that people inside Facebook are very upset about this. And they think that because more of the entirely fake sites came from or took a conservative tone, that Facebook was afraid to do anything about it. Facebook denies that. I don't know. I, all I know is there should not be false pretend news sites allowed on Facebook, in my opinion. I can't believe they can't fix that. <laughs> it seems pretty It seems pretty easy to fix. And so, well, the thing that you always talk to, to me about is how Silicon Valley regards itself. And yeah. they, they love to say, we're going to fail, we're going to fail fast and fix it. And here, they just seem unwilling to admit that they failed. Maybe, I don't mean that they failed and that the wrong person got elected or they failed and that the political leanings of their founders and employees were not validated by the election. I mean, there are lies. They distribute news. There are lies distributed on their platform that look like legitimate news. And they, they're they saying, we don't want to stop it, and it's too hard, and it's not a problem. Instead of the thing that Silicon Valley is supposed to say, which is, oh my God, we failed. Let's fix it. And I, that disconnect to me is very troubling. I think it's a great way to put it. Um, and I think I want to make make it clear again that when we when you use the word lie I'm pretty sure what you meant was look there are lies in legitimate media or there are things people consider lies on one side or the other in legitimate media they're not really lies probably because they could be checked out and numbers can be used in a million ways as you know so you know if I say poverty went up uh, you might say that's ridiculous poverty went down it might depend on how we measure poverty both of those things might come from legitimate news sources. One might come from the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. One might come from the editorial page of the New York Times. And they both might be using legitimate statistics in a different way. Uh, and somebody on one side of the spectrum might say you're lying and somebody on the other side might say you're lying. That's one kind of thing, which could be called a lie. And that's just basically debate where people use the word lie to, to make their point. But these are – I want to stress again – these. These are not real news sites. Right. They're 100% false. They're made up in many cases, according to BuzzFeed's investigation, in Macedonia. Yeah. And maybe somewhere else. Even if they're made up in America, they're just made up. 
And once you have a fake news site, of course, it's one person probably who made it up in a boiler room somewhere and they can say what they can put in whatever article whoever's paying them puts in. And I think taking them out of the ad network does absolutely nothing because they're not hoping to make money by ads. I mean, they run ads. They don't mind making more money, but their their source of income is whoever's paying them to do it, I suspect. Maybe there'll be less of that now that the campaign's over. I don't know. But I can imagine people on the left, on the far edges of the left, doing what people on the far edges of the right apparently did in the campaign, which was to support some of these. Yeah. And you don't know who you're quoting. I mean, I actually saw someone who's a, a, a relative of a close friend of mine uh, hailing some quote about Sanders, which looked funny to me. I don't think Sanders would have said that. It was some noble thing if you're a liberal. And I looked at the source and it was like, it was like officialdailynews.com or something. And I, and it's, you know, it's folk. It's, yeah. it's got, it's almost certainly a completely fake site. She didn't know. She doesn't look at it. And it's a problem. I mean, it's a big problem and these companies have to deal with it. The big shift in revenue has gone from advertising in like print newspapers to advertising on Google and Facebook against the media, right? I mean, it if they're going to if they're going to accept all of the revenue that they've pulled towards them, then they need to accept some of the responsibilities that comes with arbitrating some of the media. And I that is hard. Like I it's it that is not how they are conceiving of themselves as companies, as organizations, as people who create products, at a very core level, they do not think of themselves as media organizations. But I think this is the moment when the public pressure on them to change that will actually lead to some change. But who knows? Yes, I hope it will. And I'll just close my part of this out this week, because we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, for (laughs) a while. Uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg, who we both know, and who I think, you know, has a noble goal in terms of connecting people all around the world. I think he was right when he said it's very dangerous for us to get into deciding what's true. But that's not what people are asking him to do, not what particular post is true or false. That's where we get into my example about the person that likes the journal editorial versus the Times editorial and whatever, you know, which of those is true. Well, they're both true, depending how you want to look at it. Uh, That's not his job, and I don't want him to do it. That's not what I'm asking him to do. It's not what you're asking him to do, I don't think. But but he, if, if BuzzFeed can find out that a whole bunch of things on the news feed, and he says it's not 99%. Of course it's not 99%, because 99% has nothing to do with politics in the first place. It's, you know, I had a bait, you know, our my ex-colleague Eric Hesseldahl, and congratulations to him and his wife had a baby. That's great. That was a big part of my news feed. <laughs> our, our former colleague Katie Barrett got a new job. That's great. That's a big part of our news feed. So, of course, most of it isn't this. But, but if BuzzFeed can find these things out, Facebook can find these things out, and it can say, you know what? You're a fake news site. You're pretending to be something you're not. You don't deserve an account here. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. If you want to say we're a satirical thing, you know, The Onion, America's finest news source, <laughs> and that their slogan, but, but they make it clear that they're a, a satire site. So it's okay. Satire is okay. That's not what these people are doing. They're literally trying to con people into thinking they're a news site. 
And for Facebook's own, if I don't own any stock in it, you don't own any stock in it. But if we did, I think we'd have the right to be concerned about their legitimacy. You know, I read a piece today, and I'll, I'll find it, and I'll, I'll have Andrew put the link in the podcast post. Uh, it was tremendous, but the line was, 99% is great if you conceive of yourself as a tech company. If you're a media organization and you're and you're saying 99% of our stories are, are accurate, but 1% yeah. of them are, are false, you're doing terribly. <laughs> if, if, yeah, if 1% it's awful. of The Verge was just openly false every day, we would just be out of business. And I, we would. And I, that is Can you imagine? I switch. mean, because that 1%, that would mean, I, you know, I mean, suppose that meant we published, how many stories we publish a week? I mean- Hundreds, hundreds we, right? It's like 50 a day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hundreds. Okay, so it's like we publish 300 stories a week, and I don't know, one. what is 1% of that? It's three, right? Yeah. So if we had three really bad false stories that some other competing site or some reader or somebody said, the Verge just lied about. This is just, a, they were just hoodwinked. They were just taken in the, by this company or by this product or by this whatever, this person. The damage to us would be incalculable, and if this kept up week after week, <laughs> it would be incalculable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, there are entire sites devoted to tracking when big media organizations issue corrections, right? I mean, that's how you hold the media accountable, and there's no way to right. to hold Facebook accountable for what they are admitting is one percent of billions of posts, which is a you know one percent of billions is quite a few million, like. Yeah, there it's a lot. It's it's a strange dynamic, and I think it's going to come down to to them rethinking their conception of themselves. That ultimately, well, and I think it, it also has a lot to do with the future of the internet. Honestly, for a lot of people, Facebook is the internet. Yeah, and for a lot of people, I mean, if you think of the percentage of your day that you spend on Facebook and Twitter, even if you count the articles, the long form articles you go on to read because you saw them on Facebook and Twitter. And you clicked and they were fascinating articles and you took 15 minutes of your time to read that or 20 minutes, whatever it was. Um, you spend a lot of your day. That's the starting point. Uh, or, and sometimes it's just the whole thing. And if they don't fix this, people will begin to just say the Internet is full of lies and I don't trust it. Yeah. It's a big problem. And that, and that we, we live in a time of already eroded confidence in the media. If you, if you distrust even the basic system by which the media is distributed, now we're now how do we hold anyone accountable? And that's really what we're here to do. But trust control walt delete because we will soon have a t shirt. Radio Free Moss. Maybe by the time you're hearing yeah, this. Yeah, it only took us a year. We've been talking about t shirts for a year. <laughs> it's been a little over a year and we're gonna get t shirts. Change comes yep. slow. Progress is in fits and starts. That's that's yep. our motto. <laughs> it's a terrible motto. Anyhow, I think that's our show for the week. Um, yep. We are actually off next week. It's Thanksgiving. We're going to take a little bit of a break, but we're back after that. And yeah. I w I'm also taking a break uh, from the column next week, too, for those who care. So. I think everyone needs to go home and be with their families and relax. <laughs> that's. Yep. I encourage you all. Just all take a break. And just don't get into any arguments about politics. Try not to. Or, or you know, try to engage, but engage politely. We're just giving you life advice now. That's where the show is going right. to. Anyhow, <laughs> um, there's a bunch of other stuff to listen to. Our friend Lauren Good has Too Embarrassed to Ask on the Recode side. Peter Kafka has Recode Media. Uh, Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. Dieter, the legendary Dieter Bone, and I host the Vergecast. Right. 
uh, which goes up on Fridays. And Christopher Thomas Plant has What's Tech. Uh, and What's Tech this week is really interesting. He took a week off. Ashley Carmen hosted this week talking about Snapchat spectacles, which are very cool. Very cool. So take a listen to that. It's really interesting. Uh, that's it. We're off next week. We'll be back the week after that. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Neelai. Thanks, Neelai.